0: all right good morning welcome to our next week of being scattered together and our second week of advent Uh, excited to gather with you although absolutely wishing it could be in this place all together but thanks for gathering with us uh, wherever you are today and whenever this is happening Um, i pray this is a blessing to you and yeah as we've said already brings that all the hope And the life and the joy that Christmas brings, uh, brings it into your home today. Uh, We're going to come to this time in our service now. We'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew's Gospel. Continuing on in this series through Matthew, now beginning at verse 18. We'll finish out the chapter here. So Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Let's read together. Matthew says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ... When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let me uh, just quickly pray for us, and then we'll dive into this today. Spirit of God, we just invite you to be so present with us. Uh, to be with us uh, now as we come to your word. Would you powerfully speak through it uh, to us? Reveal more of yourself, reveal more of us to ourselves. And God, I pray that uh, you would just accomplish whatever purpose you have in each one of us today that you have already designed and wanted to accomplish through the preaching of your word. As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Well, it has been over 10 years now since uh, Vancouver we hosted the 2010 Winter Olympics. I don't know how many of you were here for that when that was happening. Uh, Quite an amazing time. It was an an event that, for the most part, was seen as a success, as well as a, a model for future host cities. And yet, long before Vancouver ever won its bid to even host the Olympics here in the first place, the decision needed to be made first around the cost, the cost of hosting the event, for, for consider having to make room for the hundreds of thousands of people that would descend in on our city, uh, uh, as well as uh, all, all the infrastructure that would need to be put in place to host athletes and broadcasters, uh, building the sites in order to actually have the Olympic events, on and on and all all these things, the, the cost was estimated initially at $600 million, quickly became $765 million. The final reported cost to BC taxpayers, $925 million to host the Olympics, which actually didn't even include uh, building the Canada Line, the Vancouver Convention Center, or upgrading the Sea to Sky Highway. So apparently the, the total was somewhere more around $2 billion. My point is this having no promise beforehand, no promise ahead of time that the men's and women's hockey teams would both go on to win Olympic gold, making it totally worth whatever cost. uh, They they didn't know that ahead of time. Before knowing any of that, city and, and provincial officials had to come to a decision of whether or not it was worth it for Vancouver to make room to host the Winter Olympics, regardless of the cost. And I mention all that as we continue on this morning in our new teaching series through the Gospel of Matthew, Kingdom Come, because one of the things we often don't consider when we come to this classic text, this classic story recounting the Christmas story, is the decision that both Mary and Joseph had to make about what it would cost them to make room for Jesus in their lives. Now, of course, whenever any couple discovers that they're pregnant, uh, they need to make all kinds of decisions as it relates to the costs that are going to be involved, financial, logistical, costs to sleep, in order to make room for this child that's coming into their lives. Yes, but when you consider the historical, the the religious context in which Mary and Joseph are living here, when Mary, a betrothed yet still unwed woman, uh, is found to be with child... You begin to see that the potential costs that they had to consider were far more uh, weighty than whether or not to use cloth or or disposable diapers, Uh, you know, whether or not dad would need to sell his sports car and get a minivan. The the, the costs that they had to consider could be a matter of life and death. Now we'll get into why that was and, and what made Jesus' birth so controversial and so consequential to begin with, but... The reason that this, looking at this matters at all for us to look at today, 2,000 years later, is because each one of us has to make a decision about whether to make room for Jesus in our lives today as well. We've got to make the very same decision. And I'm saying everyone makes that decision whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not. As C.S. Lewis once said regarding the, the claims of Jesus, of who Jesus said he was, he said, quote, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. That is some kind of non-responsive indifference. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Maybe you have yet to make any room for Jesus in your life. Maybe you're someone, maybe you've made some room for him, and yet, like you'd say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've made some room for Jesus, and yet you have yet to consider that the cost of following Jesus is, is, is all of the room. Uh, he doesn't just want some, he wants all of the room that we are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But whether you've made no room for Jesus or just still too little room for him, the decision before each one of us still remains the same. Is making room for Jesus in my life worth it, regardless of the cost? Well, for Mary and Joseph, the answer to that question seems pretty obvious. That they said clearly, yes. They said it is worth it, and and yet for for both of them, what what seemed to be the deciding factor in in actually saying, yes, it's worth it, was not just being asked to make room in general, but who it was they were being asked to make room for in particular. That seems to be the thing that made the difference for them, and my prayer for each one of us today is that as we see who it is that was born that day to that yet unwed couple 2,000 years ago, that we too we too will see making room for him in our lives as being worth it regardless of any of the cost involved. And in order to help us do that, what I want to look at together from our passage today is just three things. We want to look at the price of making room for Jesus, the pitch to making room for Jesus, and then finally, we'll close by looking at a cost worthy of payment. Okay, So the price of making room for Jesus, a pitch to make room for Jesus, and a cost worthy of payment. So if you closed your Bible, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again to our passage here, Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Now follow along with me as we learn about what it looks like as we sing every Christmas for every heart to prepare Him room. Okay, so let's look first of all at the price of making room for Jesus. The price of making room for Jesus. Now, I realize that in even speaking, even saying the word price as it relates to making room for Jesus, some of you may already have questions. Uh, You'd be thinking, "What? I thought, you know, Jesus, a relationship with him is supposed to be this free gift of salvation by grace through faith alone. Like, how can you even talk about paying some kind of price to make room for Jesus in my life? Well, great question. The, the, The simple answer is just to say, first of all, Remember, any relationship that is not entirely one-sided involves some cost of some kind. And while the saving work of Jesus is his work alone, a relationship with him is still very much something that requires a continuous investment from both sides. And secondly to remember, not all costs are about spending money which is something that you clearly see demonstrated in our passage today, uh, as the the pressing issue facing both Mary and Joseph as it relates to this coming child was not whether or not they were going to be able to afford to bring a child into the world, but how and if they'd be able to pay the social cost, the, the cultural cost of bringing a child born out of wedlock, apparently also resulting from unfaithfulness into the world at that time. Would they be able to pay that cost now just a quick bit of background just to get us all on the same page here in a first century jewish context being betrothed to someone was very much like our modern day uh, process of getting engaged to someone the the only difference was that far more than just you know getting down on one knee and putting a ring on it in, in this context here it was far more weighty far more weighty as craig blomberg notes engagement in ancient judaism was legally binding and required divorce if it were to be broken. Okay, And this is exactly why Joseph, in verse 19, can be referred to Mary's husband, and yet still be spoken of as taking her to be his wife, in verse 24. That Such was the, the seriousness of being betrothed to someone. That's how seriously they took it. However, although a betrothed couple was yeah, united and, and committed and bound legally to one another in this way, uh, sexual relations as well as living together under the same roof, were both considered forbidden. They were not permitted until after the marriage ceremony. Okay, so, haha, okay, so now this is where the, the scandal of Jesus' birth begins to kind of take shape now and unfold before us. For as Matthew tells us there, second half of verse 18, before they came together, that is, before Joseph and Mary came together in marriage or any other way, Mary was found to be with child. Now, yes, Matthew tells us, the reader here, that, that this child was not a result of Mary's unfaithfulness, but a work of the Holy Spirit. And yet, there's no indication given here that, that Joseph had been given that important bit of information, uh, or that if he had been given the information, that he believed it. And I know there's a tendency for us in our modern 21st century world to kind of read this and kind of tisk and shake our head at these Guys, and say, well, of course. I mean, they they believed in this kind of stuff in the in you know ancient times. They believed in virgin births and stuff. Actually, that's not the case. Uh, that's that's not the case. Particularly if you just look at Joseph's response to finding out that his fiance is pregnant with a child that's not his. He's he's ready to divorce her. He's ready to to break off the engagement. Right. So so you see, even if. They didn't know everything we know about the human body and how conception happens and everything today. They knew enough about how babies do and do not get made, right? So this was no more plausible in a first century context than it was in our 21st century context. And I don't know, maybe maybe you read this and maybe you'd hope for a little bit more from Joseph still. You'd kind of, like maybe if this is a movie or maybe if you're in Mary's shoes right now, you'd you'd want Joseph to kind of, St- stick with you, to stand up for his lady, no matter what. And yet when Matthew describes, look, Joseph as a just man who was also unwilling to put Mary to shame, you actually see him demonstrating a tremendous amount of love and compassion for her. He's, he's, he's trying to express compassion for her while still striving to obey the law of Moses. He, he's in this impossible place, and yet he's still demonstrating incredible love towards her. For, for listen, in an Old Testament, according to the Old Testament law, what was required of an unfaithful spouse and, and that partner was that they would both be put to death. The man and the woman both put to death for unfaithfulness, even only that they were betrothed. Um, now, that's why I said earlier that this situation had potential life and death consequences. And yet, by this point in history, that, that almost never happened. What mostly happened was a divorce would take place and the engagement would be broken off but here's the thing although Joseph could have made a huge big public spectacle of Mary's unfaithfulness in order to 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 clear his own name to clear his own honor as you see at the end of verse 19 he chooses instead to divorce her quietly that is privately in order to shield her from the social and cultural cost to minimize that as much as possible which I mean come on think about that for a spurned husband who's been robbed of his future wife, that shows incredible restraint as well as compassion. I love the way uh, Tim Keller summarizes uh, these benevolent actions of Joseph, writing this. On the one hand, he's faithful to the law of God. He doesn't wink at her unfaithfulness and push it aside. But on the other hand, he's not self-righteous or punitive. He doesn't want to expose her. That's a remarkable balance, says Keller, being moral without being moralistic. I like that. But okay, now, with all that background information alone, hopefully you, you can see now what a tremendous cost both Mary and Joseph are being asked in order to pay, in, to, they're being asked to pay in order to welcome Jesus into their lives. For Mary, the cost could mean she, she loses Joseph and maybe potentially loses her family. Uh, she's socially ostracized if Joseph... Joseph chooses to publicly expose her. Joseph, the cost to him, he's he's losing his wife, his future wife, and and he's having to deal with the emotional cost of of the damage that's caused by adultery. And then for both of them, even if they do choose to now follow through with the marriage, simple math will now just rob them of their honor and being seen as faithful to following God's law and not coming together as husband and wife when this baby is born five months after after their marriage. There's, there's cost no matter what they choose. I mean, I don't know. I, think about yourself. Put yourself in their shoes and in their circumstances right now. What, what would you do in those circumstances? Which one would you choose? I mean, it hardly in some ways, it hardly seems fair. The cost that they're being asked to pay to make room for Jesus in their lives. I mean, this, this isn't something either of them asked for. It's not a result of something either of their wrongdoing or sin in some way. Huge cost to both of them. And yet, even even a very basic look at church history from from the beginning of the church right up until today reveals a consistent pattern, actually, of a price being paid by followers of Jesus in order to make room for him in their lives. You see it everywhere, from, from people who live in closed countries having to pay the cost of a loss of personal freedom, of their property, in some cases, even their lives. Uh, For for others, including my own father, when he came to faith as a young man, sometimes making room for Jesus comes at the cost of your family. For others, making room for Jesus has come at the cost of friendships or or professional integrity in the eyes of your colleagues, believing in these fairy tales. Uh, Just think about your own life. If you you consider yourself a follower of Jesus today, what, what are some of the costs you've already had to pay in order to make room for Jesus in your life? Maybe the cost has come in some of these ways I just mentioned, maybe in other bigger or or smaller ways. The point is, there's always a cost involved when you make room for Jesus in your life. Maybe that doesn't seem fair to you. Maybe you'd say, well, listen, that's not what I thought I was signing up for when I took on this whole following Jesus thing, when when you face that cost. And, And here's, you know what the reality is? For a lot of people, it's their unwillingness to pay that cost that that either keeps them perpetually stunted and and immature in their spiritual growth, or that keeps them out of the kingdom entirely, as evidenced by a story like the rich young ruler. The cost is just too much to pay, and I'm I'm not willing to pay it. But the first key to paying this cost and, and enjoying the fullness that making room for Jesus in your life is intended to bring us is in understanding this. The price of making room for Jesus in your life, listen, isn't about spending money. It's not about spending. It's about surrender. That's what the cost of making room for Jesus in your life is. It's not spending. It's about surrendering. For Think of it. Remember, if Jesus is God's promised king, like we said last week, God's promised king, bringing God's promised kingdom to earth, then although it comes in all these different forms, in the end, the cost involved in making room for Jesus is really just you stepping down off the throne of your life and bowing the knee to Jesus as your king. That's the cost involved. It's losing your life for his sake, as Jesus says in Matthew 16, and in doing so, finding life in his kingdom. Like nothing you ever imagined. That's that's the price involved. It's a, it's it's that's the price of making room for Jesus. It's surrendering more and more of the rule of your life to Him as your King. And and maybe that that still seems too costly to you. The cost still seems too high. It still doesn't seem worth it. And yet, as we see in our passage today, I begin. I, I think when you begin to understand the fullness of who it is that you're being asked to make room for, any fear associated with, making, with the cost of making room for him starts to progressively disappear. And that's what I want us to keep working towards as we talk next about the pitch to make room for Jesus. We looked at the price now, the pitch, the pitch to make room for Jesus. And yes, now I understand I'm using business terminology to talk about Jesus' revelation of himself, um, but certainly there's no sense in which God needs to sell himself or pitch himself to us in order to be seen as worthy of our worship and surrender no and yet I don't know it's, it's just it's me really when I read this account uh, of when the angel shows up to Joseph in a dream when he's about to walk on Mary and, and her child from another father it just sounds like a pitch like you would see on the, one of those TV shows like Dragon's Den that's just what it sounds like to me so forgive me for my own Weird interpretations of these things. Let's, let's look at the verses, and you tell me. You see, see if it sounds the same way to you. So in verses 20 and 21, we read this. But as he considered, Joseph, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so, wow, like in the space of two verses, already this angel has vindicated Mary. He's he's restored her honor, revealing that this child Mary is carrying is not a result of her unfaithfulness to Joseph, but of God's faithfulness to his people, and that the child itself is none other than God's promised rescuer. This this seed of the woman promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden who would come and do battle with the serpent, restore and reunite all things in heaven and on earth back to God by dealing with our greatest problem, which was the sin that separates us from a holy God. And then, keep reading. You you see, the, the angel doesn't say this to Joseph, but as you read in verses 22 and 23, Matthew goes on to explain the significance of what the angel is pitching to Joseph here. Revealing that, that this coming child is actually the fulfillment of a promise God made hundreds of years ago, that there would be this virgin who would conceive and give birth to a son. And look, he would be Emmanuel. This, this child born to a virgin would be Emmanuel, God with us. That this this baby that she's carrying right now would be the very embodiment of God's presence among us. Wow. Wow, wow. Like. It's like, okay, so, and if that's not a pitch to end all pitches, I don't know what else is. Now, no, that doesn't solve everything for Joseph. I, I, I get it, because, of course, remember, although this does show, okay, Mary hasn't been unfaithful, so they can carry on with the, the wedding, they carry on getting married, it still doesn't solve the whole kind of baby on the way thing, the whole, that part's still there, Right? Uh, And all the social and cultural stigma that they're going to have to bear now in their seeming unfaithfulness to God's law. Like, if we could just use among us language, before only Mary was sus, but now both Joseph and Mary are sus. And yet, I think this is exactly why the angel doesn't just reveal the identity of this baby to Joseph, but he also tells Joseph not to fear to take Mary as his wife. It's a package deal altogether. It's as though God, through his angel, is telling Joseph, yes, okay, yeah, Joseph, there's still going to be a cost involved in making room for this baby and in making room for Mary, and yet I'm revealing all this to you because I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid to walk into that cost. I don't want you to be afraid of the consequences you're going to need to bear. Uh, I don't want you to be afraid of the social stigma that your marriage or this coming baby are going to bring. Why? Well, first of all, because I am the Lord your God, because I am sovereign over every single detail of this story. And although it looks messy, although it looks scandalous and shameful, although it looks costly to you right now, it's actually happening exactly according to my eternal plan. This is actually fulfilling the promises that I spoke through the prophets before you or any of this was even in anyone else's imagination. I'm fulfilling my own promises in this thing that looks so messy to you. And secondly, because now this child who will be Emmanuel, who will be a God with us, because now you know that the costly thing that I'm calling you to walk into right now is actually only calling you closer to myself. I've called Mary to a costly task that only she can fulfill and now I'm calling you to a costly task that only you can fulfill. But I don't want you to be afraid, Joseph. Don't be afraid. For if I have shown myself faithful to keep this far more difficult promise that I made all the way back at the beginning of time, you can trust that I'll be faithful to keep my word in everything else that I've promised to you as well. And before we dive into Joseph's response to that revelation and closing, what I want to do is just pause for a minute and just ask you to think about that. Think about this in your own life in light of everything we just looked at there. Think about your own life. What is the costly thing that God is calling you to walk into right now? The thing that that you alone can fulfill. What is it? What's the, the messy A potentially embarrassing or shameful situation that you're terrified to walk into because you know what it will cost you, but you still feel like God is is calling you to come into and to walk into. What's the place in your life right now that King Jesus is asking you to make room for him to come in and rule? To surrender control of over to him. What's that place? Maybe it's to persevering in a difficult marriage. Maybe it's to, to making your faith in Jesus known in an environment where that you know is like a, a hostile or even antagonistic to him. Maybe it's to surrendering your need for the high opinion of others for the opinion of the only one who matters. Maybe it's to surrendering your timeline, surrendering your, your su- submitting all your plans and hopes when, when something like sickness or disability has sidelined you from where you thought you should be by now. I'll tell you, I'll to confess to you, uh, for me in my own life right now, one of the places, the costly places I feel like Jesus is asking me to make room for him to rule in my life right now is with my kids. Surrendering, surrendering my expectations of where they, where they are and where they should be and all this and just surrendering my plans for them to him and trusting that God's plans for the incredible young women that he's already planned to make them to be are better than mine. It feels costly, it feels hard, but I'm trusting that that, that, that's the costly thing that he's asking me to walk into and that it's walking, although it's hard, that he's calling me to himself. Here's here's the thing. Whatever it is, whatever the costly thing is that God's calling you to, that, that you alone can walk into, I believe the message that God gave through that angel to Joseph all those years ago is the same message he's giving to us today. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to walk into that costly place, whatever it is, for that which seems so scary, so, so messy, so out of control to you, is planned, is ordained, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the costly thing that I'm calling you to walk into is ultimately only calling you closer to myself. And that's a game changer, right? That, that changes everything when, when you really see that and you really believe that. It certainly wasn't the life of Joseph anyways, <laughs> once he woke up from this prophetic kind of life reorienting dream. And that's what I want to look at lastly now in closing as we talk about a cost worthy of payment cost worthy of payment because paying the cost is exactly what we see joseph doing in these closing verses of our passage the moment he wakes up from that dream gladly now making a payment of the price that formerly he was so fearful of paying, taking mary as his wife and adopting jesus legally as his son which is implied by naming of the child um, as the angel had told him to making him making jesus now a son of david making him legally part of the the line of David? And what is it that made the switch? Like, like what was it that, that motivated this switch for Joseph that led him from walking away from the cost of God's call to now seeing it as worthy of payment in full? Well, according to this passage, it was in the revelation of who this baby truly was as well as what he'd come to do. That was the thing that made all the difference. For for look, even the name given to the baby itself, Jesus, Jesus which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua, which means, that name means God saves. In such simple terms, we see the magnitude of who this baby that Joseph had been asked and called to be the earthly father of seeing who this baby was, as well as seeing what he'd come to do. Just in the simpleness of a name, as, as Frederick Dale Brunner notes. In these two words of Jesus' name, God and saves, the church has believed. We possess the two deepest definitions of the Christ. Who Jesus essentially is, God, and what Jesus essentially does, saves. And listen, I'm, I'm not saying for a second. To any of us today, that, that, that seeing the truth of who it is that's calling you to make room for him in your life means now you're always going to just be perfectly obedient, just walk into whatever costly situation God gives you from this day forward just because of that. It, it isn't. I know it isn't. Some of you will remember that scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan, that film where the, the character that Tom Hanks uh, plays, he's sitting there on the bridge about to... Die, breathing his last breath. So many people who have sacrificed themselves, including him, in order to see this private Ryan rescued and brought back to his mother. And as private Ryan is kneeling in front of him there on the bridge, he, he looks at him, and in light of all of this sacrifice of what he's paid, he looks at him and says, earn this. Earn this in light of this sacrifice that's being made for you. Live a life worthy of this, basically. And so I'm not saying that seeing the fullness of who Jesus is means we're always going to be obedient to pay the cost of what God asks us to walk into as we make room for Jesus in our lives. And yet what I do pray is that the revelation of who he is does at least reveal the faithfulness of God to you again the faithfulness to keep his greatest promise in overcoming sin and death for all time and the sending of Jesus who left all the comforts and riches and glories of heaven, took on human flesh, took on the nature of a servant, humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross for you. So that in seeing that whatever costly thing God calls us to walk into today, we can at least know that he is worthy. He's worthy of whatever cost might be involved. Where is Jesus calling you to make room for him today? Where is the fear of the cost or the fear of losing control keeping you from making that room? See Jesus again today, surrendering everything paying the ultimate cost in order to make room in his house for you. And I believe it will strengthen your heart to overcome the fear of any cost involved in making that room today for him. Amen. Amen. God, help us to do it.